Hey friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast, where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. We have another great story to share with you today on the Rising Above podcast. Today, you get to meet Stephanie McKeever, and Stephanie shares her story as a special needs mom and her journey through grief. This is an episode filled with hope and encouragement, and I know that you will be blessed by what Stephanie has to share. You know, we are in a season right now where things are just crazy around the world. There's chaos surrounding us. You know, on top of what we deal with on a daily basis as special needs parents. And that is why we here at Rising Above created the Rising Above app, because we wanted our families to have a one-stop shop where you can go and find encouragement on your journey as you raise your amazing children with special needs. So if you have not downloaded the app yet, please do. I know that you will find so many resources there that will bring you encouragement and hope and remind you that you are not alone on this journey as you raise your child with special needs. So be sure to download the app and get that daily dose of encouragement that we all need. Now, here's the conversation that I had with Stephanie McKeever. Hey, Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to get to know you and hear more about your story. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Becky. I am so excited to have a conversation with you. Well, I know we were talking just a few minutes ago. It's kind of like we run in some of the similar circles, but we have never connected before until today. We've never, this is our first conversation. So um, I'm excited to hear a little more about you. And so to get us started, just share a little bit about your family and where you guys live. You're right. I think we have so many similar stories in our lives together. It's the same, but different. Mm -hmm. Um, We my husband and I have been married for, um, gosh, almost 30 years now. Mm. We're at that point where we start to forget the number. Yeah. Just, we've, yeah. <laughs> we've been together forever <laughs> together and, and I can't imagine, um, anything but that. Yeah. And, um, we started out so young and naive and we mm. have three children and, uh, our oldest is away and married and, um, starting his own life. Our second child now lives with Jesus. And, um, our third child came to us through adoption and he is, um, young and exciting and he keeps us off the couch. Keeps you young and going, right? (laughs) He does. Well, going anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you have been a special needs mom. Tell us a little bit about your special needs journey, um, and what that's looked like for you over the years. So our special needs journey started with, with our Evan, our second child, and he, he came to us. Um, it, it started as as a typical child. You know, we we didn't know he was going to have special needs until his birth, and that mm-hmm. was you know in the delivery room when things changed. And um, even then, we were so young and naive, we didn't really understand what was happening at the time. I'm not sure the doctors even understood what was happening, and didn't even know how to express what was happening to us. We were in a hospital that was not a specialty hospital Mm. and it was just happening step by step. You know, as, as his birth um, occurred, we were finding more and more things um, that were, were just a little off center. 
um, from what was happening in the in a typical um, delivery. He um, was having some low muscle tone. He was not um, able to eat as as he should, and and that that suck muscle was not there. And then finding that was a global muscle issue, not mm-hmm. just in the sucking issue. So why is that? Um, you know, a global issue, what's going on here. And then finding some other um, hormonal issues going on and just step-by-step led us into the NICU at at that point. And, um, you know, that's, as a young person, that's really overwhelming because you just, you walk in going full of joy and excitement Mm -hmm. and, and that this was our second child. So we expected, oh, we're, you know, old pros at this. Right. <laughs> and right. Um, suddenly find myself spending the night in a, um, in a doctor's sleep room um, by myself and, you know, my husband at home um, with our other son and just in a, you know, in a whirlwind of what, what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Doctors um, throwing words at us that, that were a little shocking. And, uh, you know, we just didn't know where to go from this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we came home with um, a set of medications and still thinking that things might, might be okay. And we might, you know, we might grow out of this. We're not really sure what's happening. And a few months down the road, we found ourselves noticing that, that our Evan wasn't hitting milestones mm, Yeah, and brought that to our doctor's attention. And he said, you know what? I, I think he might be blind. And uh, he sent us to a neurologist that was full of really great information and direction and sent us to an organization that was full of joy and um, love and gave us um, just great support for our entire family and said, you have a gift here. This, you know, our Evan is a gift and you have some challenges ahead of you, but we're going to support you. And um, what a gift you have in this this boy, and really gave us joy in raising a child who was going to have some some challenges and special needs, but but pointed us to, in a direction of joy. And that was uh, our first level of excitement. I think of wow, we have some challenges, but we can do this with this supportive community. Yeah, and then it's amazing just the difference that can make it can make when you have that one person who can speak life into your situation and, you know, and speak the truth. They didn't, they didn't sugarcoat it. It's not like, oh, this is going to be great. You're going to, you know, it's going to be fine. But to say you're going to find joy on this journey and, you know, not every parent gets that. Here's that message early on. And so I'm sure that that shifted your whole whole dynamic on your journey, just hearing those words early on. It did. And it gave us words. Um, in our community, you know, there's, I think as a whole, we don't do a great job of supporting people who have a child who's born with, with different needs. It's always, um, a little bit of a, of a downer. It's, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. It's, you don't come out saying, congratulations, right. you, you have a gift. Um, I, in the Bible, it tells us that children are a gift and mm-hmm. there is no, um, no definition of only is a child a gift when there's, um, there's no needs or, you know, (laughs) you find a typical child, it's all children are a gift. And, and we don't do a great job of communicating Mm -hmm. that always. And, uh, to find this community that said, yes, 
this child is going to be a gift and, um, and you'll find that niche. It was a great, great help to us. And so as you traveled along your journey, what were those different stages like for you? Um, you know, did you have the help that you needed? Did you have times of, of where you're struggling, trying to figure out what to do? What were those early years like during those first part of your journey? After you found that help and you're progressing through, what were the next few stages like for you? Well, each stage became um, finding a different community. I think in those young years, when we thought he was blind, uh, we had that community. The community of the visually impaired was very supportive. And we had different levels of, of friends there, some who just had um, visual impairments and then some who had more needs like us who did have some special needs um, and more challenges. So we had friends in that community. And then we moved on to those school age years where we had to move um, into a different community. And we had friends within our and supports in with the uh, educational community and had to find a support system there. Yeah. And not always um, was it there. We, mm-hmm. we had to advocate our, for ourselves at, the, at times. And, you know, that's certainly a hard road to, um, to speak up and to learn the law and to learn um, about your child and to know what's best for your child. Yeah. Uh, but we found that within, when the, within our own local mm-hmm. community, you, you find other parents in the community who are um, living a same but different life. Yeah. And uh, we found that locally through the years. And then each step as you go through the education system brings a new community. You know, sometimes that's mm-hmm. elementary. And then you hit that middle school age where, where new schools come together and it, it finds a new community and high school where you, you strive to have kids of um, all abilities, your typical mm-hmm. kids, you try to bring those in and um, that brings a, a different support system yeah. along alongside. And then our church community, we've always tried to uh, have our kids involved in the, the Sunday school program. And um, through the years, the young years, that was, that was a lot easier than as they get older, of mm-hmm. course. But um, our church has always been a good support for us as well. That's good. Well, I know that you had a different turn in your story um, that you were not expecting, that any probably no one would expect. I think it, when Evan was around 19 years old. So tell us what happened at that point in your story. He was. It was um, his birthday at, at 19. We were, um, it was a sunny day, um, sunny February day. And he had a fall at the park and we just, you know, Evan didn't have a great walking gait and a falls were not completely unusual, but this knot on his leg didn't seem to get better. We took him to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, this isn't a normal bump on his leg and I'm going to send you to the um, specialty children's hospital and, uh, they got us in so fast that we knew that something was up. Mm-hmm. It, you don't get into especially children's hospitals <laughs> within within days, and they um, they fast tracked us, and within a week we were um, in the oncology unit, and they told us he had bone cancer, osteosarcoma, yeah. in this leg, and um, within. Um, 
two weeks, he was starting chemotherapy. And it was probably for the best that it was so fast tracked. We didn't have time to think mm-hmm. about all of the, um, the what ifs and the what's happening here. Yeah. But um, he did have um, start the chemotherapy program. And so I know just based on your story that you had extended hospital stays. Um, I've been, you know, I went through that with my late husband as well. And, and people, if you haven't been through that, it's really hard to describe what that time is like when you have other family members that you're trying to care for, you have a child in the hospital or another family member in the hospital and trying to juggle all of that chaos. What were some things that you did to try to manage the chaos during those long hospital stays? Chaos is exactly what it was. And that's, you know, managed chaos is what it became. Um, Evan is not the only one in our family who, who thrived on our, on routine. Our youngest thrived on routine as well. And we had to create a routine out of this chaos. So that's what we did. We, um, Evan, so much of the time needed to live at the hospital chemotherapy, um, if you're familiar with it, it's going to bring your body down to a point of um, killing all of the chemo, all of the um, cancer cells. And when it does that, it kills all of the good cells too. So his safest place was at the hospital. So one of us um, between my husband and I would stay at the hospital for several days and the other would stay at home with our youngest. And then we would switch out and spend another few days um, at home. And this, we created this routine so we could expect, um, you know, three or four days in the hospital, three or four days at home. Mm-hmm. And um, that became our new routine. And it was a routine, but it was obviously, as you know, not the best routine for right. anybody. And um, so our youngest certainly suffered during that time. His needs were heightened. His emotional state was heightened, but it was the best of of the worst situation. And, and it's so, I think it's so challenging to allow people into our chaos and into our mess, you know, to allow people to come in and help us. I think when, when you're in that state of um, the swirl, you're really in the swirl of what yeah. all is going on and allowing people to come in and help us is so hard, but it's so critical. And so how did people show up for your family during that time? You're right. It it is so hard. It's all you can do to think about what's going on um, in your life and to keep track of of everything that's happening. And then to have people come in and say, what can I do? I had no answer for that Mm -hmm. most of the time. I I just tell them, I don't know, just just do what you want to do. You know, I, I don't know right now. And so many people want to bring a meal and that's, you know, our our Christian community um, finds that that's a, a good way to um, to help, and then we can also kind of check that off our list and um, feel like we've helped. But quite honestly, we weren't at home, and we weren't um, we weren't here to eat those meals. So it was difficult to say we don't need that. Um, it would have filled a freezer mm-hmm. that um, we couldn't have maintained, and food would have gone bad. So it was difficult to to tell people we didn't need that. And then people didn't know how to help us. 
either. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have have great support within our church, and and they did um, come alongside us. We had friends who wanted to come and clean our house, and that was wonderful support for me um, to not come into a, a messy, yeah, <laughs> messy chaotic yeah. home. Um, but when you're not here, um, it's really difficult to support somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you can't come into the hospital situation, it's such a lonely place. Mm-hmm. You know, when that chemotherapy kicks in, they don't want anybody around to uh, bring infection into the, the room. And it's a lonely place. Yeah. And it's hard to be vulnerable. Like you said, you know, there's some people who really wouldn't even want someone coming into their home to clean for them because you're like, I don't want you to see my mess, right? you know, and, but that's, that's one of those practical things. It's like being able to just let those walls down and go, you know, the people who really love me are not going to care that the chaos is there. In the beginning, we were um, probably more prideful. And then we got to the point where we, we said, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, this is what we are. I'm going to target in my, um, unshowered mm-hmm. nasty clothes from four days. Um, yeah. I, I can't maintain it any longer. I can't mm-hmm. maintain that facade. Then yeah. this is what's going on. Yeah. And, um, you have to become really real with, with what's happening. And so, for people who are maybe wondering like, okay, if they have a friend who their child's having extended stay in the hospital or there's a, their spouse, the spouse is having an extended stay in the hospital. What was like one practical thing that people did for you that you were like, this was a game changer for us. Gift cards mm. to um, the, the fast food restaurants that were on the highway to the hospital. Mm-hmm to and from the hospital because you could pull in, eat in the car on the way to the hospital. Yeah. And the constant contact of texting, mm-hmm. not, um, not a one and done. Right. Um, it, it just to have somebody, you know, you get in that hospital room and especially now, you know, I, I think there's such a lonely place yes. now um, to be able to constantly have somebody checking in with you Mm -hmm. and asking, um, just how are you? How can I pray for you? Here's some Bible verses. Here's a song that I love. Um, not asking, um, you know, yes, if, if there is something that you need, let them be that person to, to do that, but to just be there, to be somebody, a sounding board, to constantly have Mm -hmm. that, um, checking in and to not disappear. Yeah. After it's so, and it's hard to, to constantly be there for somebody else mm-hmm. day after day. Yeah. But to have that person there is such a help. Well, and just to know that you're seen. Right. You know, it's like early on when something happens, you know, usually everybody swarms and they're there and they're supportive and they're walking there through it with you. But I had a friend of mine whose son had spent so much time in and out of the hospital. And she said, you know, early on, everybody's there. Everybody's supporting you and cheering you on. But then when you continue to have hospital stay after hospital stay, it's just basically like, oh, well, they're back in the hospital again. And, and you know, they forget, the people on the outside often forget that, yeah, it's, but it's still that same intensity that it was even that first time, you know, we're exactly. still there. We still need to be seen. 
And, and often it's just not even like that you are expecting a reply from the person. Like if somebody's checking out to just, when I would get texts for somebody to say, Hey, you don't need to reply. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. Yes. Just want you to know I see you. And it's just that extra little boost to keep, get, you know, help you process through to know you are not alone on yeah. this journey. Exactly. Yeah. Did you have any stories of friends and families who showed up um, just in a way that maybe was unexpected? Oh, of course. I have um, had a group of friends who showed up and cleaned my house out of the blue. I had a friend who came on. She would bring Wednesday night church dinners mm. if she knew we were home on Wednesday nights um, because she knew that that was not going to sit in my freezer or my fridge and go bad. It was hot, fresh food mm-hmm. that she would bring on Wednesday and she'd drive it to our house. Um, we had um, that same friend would um, would show up at the hospital, even though um, it would require gowning up and masking up. And she had no problem with that. And this was pre-COVID. So right. um, they were allowed to, to come and she had no problem driving in and she and her husband and, um, and they, they had no problem with whatever nastiness was occurring. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were there. They were there. Yeah. And um, that was such a gift. Yeah. So your story turned again. Mm-hmm. Um, share what happened. Um, I think what, when he was 21. Is that right? He was 21. And we hit a point where um, chemotherapy uh, took its toll on his heart mm-hmm. and he had a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and um, he uh, met Jesus for about 18 minutes and the um, life-saving team at the hospital brought him back. And after that, they... Um, they finally decided that that chemotherapy was going to be too much for him. And then uh, we had some trial and error through uh, a few months later with um, feeding and, and different issues. But we, we hit a point where it was time for Evan to come back home and, um, and be done with all of the, mm-hmm. the hospital situation. Yeah. And at that point, um, the cancer did, um, did take its toll on his body mm-hmm. and Evan passed away. And he, um, he has the joy of living with Jesus at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking for us who are still left here, you know, me without my husband, you without your son, but I love the scripture that talks about how we grieve with hope. We don't grieve the way the world does, but we grieve with hope. So how have you grieved with hope? over these past few years without your sweet Evan here with you? You know where he is. I know where Jeff is, but how have you seen yourself grieve with hope? Oh, he, knowing that he's with Jesus only draws me closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The closer I am to Jesus, the closer I am to him. And that just pulls me closer to to God's word. I want to, I pray for more knowledge and wisdom to learn more about, about God's word. And, uh, I, I crave more now. I crave mm-hmm. more than I ever did. And I'm so grateful for, um, for Christ in my life. And, you know, I thought I did before, but I'm just so grateful for, um, 
every glimpse I have now of Christ mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we know we will see them again. I mean, that, that, that keeps me going so many days that are so hard just to go, you know, I'll look at my husband's picture and I go, I'm going to see you again. We'll be together forever and you're not going to be sick. And it, it's right. going to be, everything will be made new. And that, that excites me. And that gives me hope to know um, that our time apart in this grand scale of life and the grand scale of God's timing is really only just a blip of right. time compared to all eternity. Eternity. Yeah. And so I know so often when people are grieving, um, people on the outside don't know what to say to us. You know, we've all had you and I'm sure you had things said to you. I had things said to me that I'm like, oh, my goodness, did they really say that? Right. But, but, <laughs> and people just don't know. But what was something that maybe someone said to you that was just bomb for your heart, for your soul in, in the time of especially maybe those early, early days of grieving that really helped you um, start your journey towards healing? Uh, Levi Lusco wrote a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. Yeah. And that whole book, just everything he wrote in there, where he wrote things that only my husband and I said to each other. Mm. Um, he has Bible verses in it that pointed me right back to Christ about um, hope and the, the anchor that, that Christ is. And that book was a, a, a great resource for me yeah. during during those early, mm-hmm. early days. It, I... I cried big, heavy, you know, nasty tears yeah. <laughs> through yeah. it, but yeah. it was a great resource for me. Well, I know in my journey, I can look back through all the hospital stays with my husband through the, these years since he has, is now in heaven. And I've seen God show up time and time and time again. So what were some of the experiences in your journey where you were like, okay, only God could do this? Um, we had a time, um, several times throughout the hospital, but one I can remember where um, we sat looking at, at the CT scan of, um, of tumors in Evan's lungs and we went back again another time and the doctor said, they're not there. I don't, I don't know where they are. Mm. And Matt and I looked at my husband, Matt and I looked at each other and we said, well, we know what happened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, and tumors in the lungs were a big deal because, um, that would have been a a lot of suffering Mm. for Evan. And, uh, and we, we did not want that, that type of suffering. And, uh, so for, the tumors in the lungs to have, have subsided. And he did have, have some lung issues in the end, but, but to have those larger issues subside was a gift from God. Yeah. And we are so grateful that, uh, that he, he, he did that for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then his sight, um, you know, in the very beginning, it was an optic optic nerve issue. And all of the doctors told us optic nerves do not change that you get what you get with the optic nerve. And there is no doubt that Evan could see and he, he could see well um, all his life as he grew. So we don't know what happened mm. and why his optic nerve did change, yeah. but um, 
but it did. And we are so grateful for the site that Evan did have. Mm. And uh, there's nothing but but God to give yeah. glory to in that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you shared briefly in when we started about that you have a third child that came to you through adoption. So share with us about your other child, whatever you want us to know. And that's part of the journey because your special needs journey is continuing um, still. So share about that. It is. We do. We we knew from the very beginning um, in our, even in dating that we wanted to adopt at some point. And we sought out all of the, the different journeys of adoption. We went, we looked at international, um, domestic, and all of those different journeys and found that none of them really suited us. And we landed on um, foster care, the foster care system, and found that that was the best route for us to go through. So we, knowing Evan's needs, we knew that um, it opening our home up to fostering on a a, a typical basis was not right. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of the foster care system asks you to have um, the youngest child in the home be the child that that you bring in. Um, through foster care and Evan's abilities were going to mark him as, as the youngest child always. And we had to be, had to narrow our, um, the child that we brought in pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that put us in kind of the respite care world. And so we did a lot of foster respite care, uh, to begin with. And we, uh, we found that we just weren't, um, we didn't have any, any opportunities. And we did this for about six years where, uh, there weren't any, any more children coming into our home. And we said, okay, God, I guess this was not the path. You know, we, we weren't supposed to, to do this any longer. And maybe we were supposed to lead other people to um, foster care and adoption and, and that's okay. And we told our caseworker, we were ready to grandfather our license. So she did that. And it was under, under a month and she called us and she said, I have a a child and I need you to go, go to the hospital and pick this child up if you're willing. Wow. And I said, I'm I'm so sorry. I don't, did you forget our, we don't have a license anymore. And she said, no, I didn't forget. Um, It's okay. We'll take care of it. She said, "All, all you need to do is within the week, get some of these things taken care of and, and we'll get it back on track if, if you're willing. So we went to the hospital that day and uh, and picked up our our youngest, and uh, we uh, went through the next few years of um, fostering, and um, and that journey and the the ups and downs that fostering brings mm-hmm. yeah. with it, and um, and it um, ups and downs and you know foster, the fostering and fostering through adoption is a is a broken road. So we. We are grateful and hurtful um, for for what that you know means at the same time, and um, and so so grateful that that he's with us and that he is part of our family, and um, so grateful to God that that he's placed him with us. Yeah, and like you said, he he does have he does come with his own set of 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 unique needs, and um, we are are highly protective of those needs, but, but know that we are, are right there in that special Mm -hmm. needs journey with, um, with everyone still. And, um, and so grateful to, 
to be a part of that still. It's a community that we love. Well, we here at Rising Above, our theme this year is restoration. And so we are asking all of our guests, uh, what are they, what are you currently doing right now that's allowing God to bring restoration into those broken places in your heart and your soul? Or how is God restoring you even now? Well, two things. One is kind of um, surface. I started red light therapy. I have um, some inflammation that I would really like to kick to the curb. (laughs) So I started that and I am really hoping that restores some of my Mm. skin and my my feelings of uh, movement. Yeah. And I'm super excited about that. It's in a gym and I should probably use the gym a little bit more. Too, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. Hey, baby <laughs> um, steps, baby steps. <laughs> so I'm, I'm having fun with that. And I do the massage chair once in a while too. Um, but otherwise, um, on a deeper level in my walk with um, my, in the word, I am really looking for Jesus in um, whatever it is I'm reading, wherever it is I'm in the Bible, in whatever study I'm doing, mm. I ask myself, where is Jesus in this? Yeah, Because I know he is the only, only thing that is restoring my mm. soul right now. He's the saving grace that I have. He is, mm. he is who has restored me mm. and is continually restoring me. So I ask myself in whatever it is, I'm in the old Testament right now. And, um, it's so fun to say, okay, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? And um, what is um, what is God the Father pointing me to mm-hmm. in Jesus in this? And uh, and he's there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing to find Jesus in the Old Testament. Beautiful. Well, Stephanie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share part of your story, part of your journey with us. Um you know, there's so many similarities that you and I have experienced with the with the sicknesses and with the grief, and so mm-hmm. I think we um, have have those that heart for each other because of just right. that part of the journey. And so I just thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And I, I believe you have a website and people can follow you. So tell us where we can find you, where people can find you on social media or on your website. I'm at stephaniemckeever.com. And from there, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, All of those links are are at my website. And we'll be sure to include those in our show notes as well so people can find you very easily. But thank you so much, Stephanie. It's been a joy to get to have this conversation with you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.